What's going on? This is Off the Track with CJ Ecolano, and I want to thank you for your continued support. I am so excited about today's episode. We have it titled, A Sit-Down with a Coach of All Levels, Stephen Sarge Sarajanis. Yes, we are talking to the always entertaining Coach Sarajanis, a.k.a. Sarge. I was fortunate enough to be coached by him for two years at Robert Morris University before he took on a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He always had and still has a way of getting the absolute best out of every individual that works with him. He has a laundry list of accomplishments. Check these out. Sarge has coached track and field at the college level for 19 years. Ball State University, Robert Morris University, and the United States Naval Academy, and at the high school level for four years. Over those 23 years, he has coached 42 NCAA qualifiers, 46 indoor conference champions, 117 all-conference athletes, 137 IC4A ECAC qualifiers with 29 of those qualifiers earning All-East, three Olympic trial qualifying athletes, three NCAA All-Americans, nine USA national qualifiers, one high school national champion and shot put, nine high school national qualifiers, 23 USATF youth national qualifiers, 11 high school individual state champions, 29 high school state qualifiers, and 147 school records broken combined at the college and high school ranks. This includes 86 school records broken in just four years at Robert Morris University. I am fired up for Sarge to be here with us. What is going on, man? <laughs> hey, good morning, CJ. Thank you for having me on here. Uh, wow, that's a, quite an introduction. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm well, I'm well. <laughs> good, good. I mean, yeah, that's quite the list of accomplishments, and I know you will continue to add to that list. I remember when you were at RMU, You just had a way to make workouts fun. And I feel that was the biggest reason why you got the most out of your student athletes. Now, don't get me wrong. You were serious, too. But you you knew when to draw the line between fun and serious. You also knew how to push each other, you know, push our buttons, I should say, to get us to that second or inch or even foot PR you know, motivation was part of your coaching style there, and you found many ways to show this to all of us. I know you were highly regarded at Robert Morris University, and you truly cared about your student-athletes. I am sure the same could be true and said for all of your other coaching stops. Yeah, it's uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was, uh, it, it was a wonderful experience, Robert Morris University, for me. Probably one of the best experiences I've had college coaching-wise. Um, and it was, it was very difficult to leave Robert Morris, actually. Um, it was very emotional because to what you said, the way to motivate athletes is to really show them that you care about them. And, you know, when you recruit kids out of high school and then you coach them for as long as you do at the college level, you really get to know these kids really well, all you guys, you and everybody. 
And, um, you know, it was, it was difficult to leave. I was crying when I left Robert Morris. It was a no brainer for me to go to the Naval Academy career wise and financial wise, but, you know, relationship wise, it was, it was, it was a, it was a hard, it was a, it was hard to leave. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember uh, that too. Yeah. I was, I was a sophomore junior year when you kind of made the announcement that you were leaving and I know it hit, hit all of us hard, especially your throwers. And actually speaking of one of your throwers, uh, I want to read something from one of your former athletes, um, Aaron Gursky. He says, Sarge was a player's athlete's coach. What I mean is he would work with us individually, one-on-one as an individual athlete in order to build the core group of a dynamic throwing unit. What made him one of the best coaches that I ever had is that he knew what worked for me individually versus Big Kev or even Derek Mears. He also knew what buttons to push with me in order to get me motivated, kind of like what I said. That is something that you just cannot show up as a coach and just start doing. I took all the things that I had learned from him and my teammates and implemented it them implemented it with them when I started to coach throwing at my local high school and in my private one-on-one sessions. Awesome. Wow. Yes. Aaron's Aaron's a great kid. Um, and I, that's, those words are amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always nice to get, you know, emails or comments from, from, from former athletes. We don't get them often, but you know, it's always, always nice to, nice to hear. And of course, you know, we don't we don't look for those comments. We just do. We coach because we love it. You know, I know you coach because you love it and passionate about it. I know I do the same thing. And, uh, you know, we we feel and we think, you know, we're we're getting to our student athletes and uh, like that from Aaron. That's always that's always nice. So let me ask yeah, you a that's, question. That's amazing. <laughs> let me ask you a question of all of your accomplishments we just listed. Do you hold one or a few of them near and dear to your heart? Now, you know, any crazy stories about any of your Olympic trial qualifiers or NCAA All-Americans? Oh, my goodness. There's so many crazy stories. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Gosh, that's a that's a that's a good question. That's a loaded question right there. You know, um, Every it, it's it, it's it's challenging because at every level it was the most amazing thing or every time it came forward in a chronological order, if that makes sense. Right. Yep. You know, my experience at Ball State when I first started coaching, you know, I was new. And matter of fact, I came into the situation. I was a graduate assistant at Ball State University. I was getting my master's. I went with my old college coach from college at UNC Wilmington, University of North Carolina, Wilmington to Ball State to get my master's and coach because he knew I liked, I was really interested in coaching. And these kids actually had better performances on paper than I did and were stronger, bigger, whatever, faster, because I was just with a men's track and field for that, for that program. And, um, you know, it was a little intimidating at first, but then I realized that, you know, these guys just needed help because they were all over the place. They didn't have a coach. They actually didn't have a coach for a year. And so, you know, just showing again that you care 
that you you're motivated to get better and, and they can they can feel that motivation that you want to coach and you want them to throw far you want them to perform well and uh, you know that that got me going with one young man Zach Riley who was a two-time All-American for me and a Olympic trials qualifier later on um, you know he he was a walk-on which I love walk-ons because they tend to have a I don't know, a, a huge fire under their belly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, people who are, especially the Kozlova coming in, like a walk-on who's not on scholarship, they have something to prove. And, you know, you probably, you, you sense that with a lot of kids that just come out that are like, oh, whatever, track and field, you know, that don't have any sort of um, prior experience or they're just coming out for whatever. And then you find this untapped talent and, and, and they just, they just, once they get a little bit of success, they just take off. And for me, you know, Zach was that. And, uh, you know, I had a, an amazing experience my first two years of coaching. And uh, this crazy thing was he, he was a hammer thrower. He'd thrown hammer discus shot put. You know, he's a walk-on and uh, picked up the hammer and threw like 128 feet in the hammer his freshman year. And I, came, I showed up at the middle of his sophomore year. And through our connection and, and some of the stuff that I – you know, was able to coach him. He ended up improving, what, uh, 70 feet his first year. Oh, wow. <laughs> Qualifying for nationals. Yeah, and, and that was the old way where he just, it was just an automatic qualifier, provisional and, and that and automatic qualifier before they had the regional championships and things like that. So, um, and then the following year, I thought, oh, his jumps aren't going to be that big. And then he jumped, gained another 20 feet. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so, it was an awesome experience and uh, I continued to kind of coach him after I left and took the job at Robert Morris as he went to on to Olympic trials, uh, Olympic trials um, in 2004. So that was a great experience. And that would show me, wow, that was my first coaching experience. And it was at the highest level. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? Gosh, I just graduated college. I was like 23 or 24, yeah. so I wasn't much older than they were. <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, you just graduated college, um, so you went to University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Tell me about your time there as an athlete. Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. It, um, you know, I, I, uh, I found the school and uh, just fell in love with Wilmington. Uh, honestly, coming out of high school, I'm from Syracuse, New York originally. And so Syracuse, New York averages like 130 inches of snow a year. So I knew right away being a discus or I wanted to get out of New York and go south where I could train all year round because I really had higher high goals for myself to to compete, maybe compete after college. So um, so UNC Wilmington was awesome. Uh, we were uh we won a we won the first ever team conference title for the school in any sport my sophomore year and then we won two more after that so with three in a row and I think it continued on uh, we went six in a row before they lost one and then they had all these championship teams so um <clears throat> so that was an awesome experience from a from a team standpoint to win that and then you know as an individual you know I, I, college PR was just basically the same as my high school PR in the discus, different size discus, a larger discus. Um, and then I picked up the hammer throw and kind of dropped the shot put. But, uh, I, you know, I was all these four years 
I'm sorry, uh, I qualified for UCSC's all four years. I was all these three out, out of the four years, and that's the IC4A ECAC championships. Um, but um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a great experience, and that's where I started to coach in college, actually. <laughs> and that's where my coaching career started and, and then just went from there. You also, you also triple jumped a little bit in high school? Yeah, so high school, I was a three-sport athlete, soccer, basketball, and track. Okay. Um, you know, my father played professional soccer, so I grew up on soccer instead of football. And that's, I'm glad that happened because, man, my body was, is still intact. I can still do lots of things today, and I, I think that if I didn't, I'd, I'd be in a bit a different different physical condition today. But um, So in track, I, I did pick up uh, – um, uh, I just – I love the jumps and the throws. I loved all the field events. Hated the, the running events. Kind of funny story. When we first started, I, I think I, uh, after middle school basketball or something, went to the junior high for junior high track. And in junior high track, I did a year of that. You had to do a running event. And if you're a field event, you had to do a running event. If you're a running event person, you had to do a field event just to, you know, let everybody kind of try everything. And uh, I did the 200 and I hated it. And I would like miss it on purpose at meets. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I'd get in trouble for that and everything else. But I would just, I would just, I was like, I just, I did all the field events, long jump, triple jump, high jump, shot put discus. Okay. They didn't have the pole vault at that time or that level. And, uh, but that's a funny story. And, uh, and I just, I just fell in love with the throws from that point on to kind of push from there. But, um, but yeah, and, and the jumps and I jumped 44 feet as a high school senior in the triple jump. Uh, but that was because I was also six four, and I was still light at that time, two ten. I hadn't put on that thrower's weight. <laughs> <laughs> you were a state champion in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, in the discus, I was state champion, and uh, that just kind of really, you know, that year I stopped playing basketball. I didn't play soccer my senior year. My basketball season it was okay, and then. I launched right into track and I just was super focused. I was actually super focused from the summer before. I just, that's all I really wanted to do. And I went from not even qualifying for my state meet to, um, you know, going there and winning. So that was really awesome. an awesome wow. experience. Yeah. So there's no denying that you were a successful athlete and are a successful coach. Um, but you had to get the student athletes to your school. So you're recruiting to get these athletes to Ball State, RMU, and the Naval Academy, or at least helping at Ball State as a, as a GA, um, you know, you must have been pretty strong with your recruiting and all that good stuff. So what is your perspective on, on recruiting these college athletes? Oh, um, recruiting high school athletes into college? Yes. Um, so, gosh. You know, I, I, I learned from my old college coach, Jim Sprecher. He's the head coach at uh, Lynchburg College. He actually got out of Division One. He's coaching at Lynchburg College, which is Division Three, and he absolutely loves it. Um, but, uh, you know, he just had a very persistent way of recruiting, you know, just really keeping it really simple. So I learned from him as the baseline. And then from there, when I, when I got to Robert Morris University, Michael Smith, who uh, was came basically my coaching role model because everything came from him i mean he just kind of took it to the whole new level and uh you know i'm sure if i should say this word but uh it was kind of his his overall 
scope on recruiting. You basically whore yourself out, for lack of a better term. But uh, right, right. But you, 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 you have to get out there and you have to beat the street and you have to get to every meet and you have to talk to kids and you have to meet people. And the talking to people, you know, initially was hard for me. And and uh, but Michael is a great role model for that. And and so it's really just getting out there and seeing for yourself what these athletes are, because the recruiting process starts with you getting a questionnaire from a kid or, or you, you have an interest in somebody, you send out a letter, you get the questionnaire back. Or nowadays, there's a lot of these college recruiting um, um, companies out there that will help you promote yourself to schools. So you get these papers and you check these kids out and then you go out and you want to see them. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times the bigger schools back in that, that time frame would just look at kids, state champions, oh, and pick them, pick them from the state meet, pick them from different things and the top kids and offer them a full scholarship or offer them big money or, or offer them, hey, I want you to come join this team because, um, I don't know, some big name, fill in the blank, right, <clears throat> school. And kids would, are looking for that for recruiting-wise. And, um, but really, where you're really going to pick your team and, and find the people you really want on your team is by going out, seeing them in person, meeting them, meeting their families, uh, talking to them, finding, figure out what their characters like and those types of things. A lot like what Joe Clotter um, had talked about. I agree everything with he what he said about recruiting um, from your previous uh, podcast with him, with him. So, um, yeah, that that's you know that's pretty much what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, and you you mentioned Joe, but uh, you know, Nikki Downing was one of those girl throwers that you had early on at Robert Morris to kind of set the tone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Nikki was uh, actually Mike Coach Smith recruited her out of high school. Um, she actually came to to school on a volleyball scholarship mainly, and then uh, she had a, just a, a few dollars really from <laughs> from track and field. But uh, that sealed the deal for her to come to Robert Morris. And then, you know, Nikki was there when I got there, and and I've I had a lot of good success with kids that were already there when I when I showed up. Right, which is really good. And uh, um. I guess that's a, I guess it's, I guess a tribute to my coaching. I'm able to kind of work with them and still help them improve. And that's always a hard thing. Typically when you come into a program and you inherit athletes that you didn't recruit, there's a little bit of a transition always, but uh, Nikki just took off and ran, you know, she, I think she's a school record holder in like five throwing events or four throwing events, you know, national qualifier and four throwing events. Uh, so she just was amazing. And she set the tone that, she has that, um, she's from Western Pennsylvania. Um, and you know, she's comes from that blue collar family. And, you know, I always look kind of looked for that, that blue collar type kid, you know, family, those kids are always really hardworking and those types of things. That's at least how I did a lot of my recruiting when I was at, at Robert Morris, we didn't have to leave very far, you know, Western PA provided all that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And then obviously the Maryland and West Virginia, all the neighboring states, they all kind of had that. And Ohio kind of had that mentality too. And that's when we started expanding our recruiting the first few years out further and further. Right. You know, I just want to state that, uh, you know, you didn't just concentrate on one specialty as a coach. Uh, yes, we're going to hear about your throwers in this episode, but ha but you also have your USATF level two coach certificate certificate certificates and di distance jumps and throws you're also mm -hmm. very capable of coaching the 100 through 400 meter runners i know you've also coached pole vaulters 
you know, why did you think it was so important to broaden your knowledge and not just concentrate on just the throws? Well, actually, I got to give Michael Smith credit on that one because he said to me when I got the job, you're not just going to do throwers. You're going to have to coach. You're going to have to coach other events. Cause I was just so singularly focused. And, um, and so we, he says, you're going to coach the distance runners. <laughs> so, um, you know, together we cross uh, together. We coach cross country. That's kind of how I learned about the distance runners and training about distance training. And, uh, and then that ended my first year, we went out and we got our certifications. My, Michael got his in, I think jumps or sprints. I can't remember. I, th- I think it was sprints first. And then, um, and I got mine in distance. I'm, I'm sorry. I got mine in throws because that was my main thing. And the following year, I got my certification in distance. And I think he got his in jumps. But uh, um, he pushed me to do it. And I was coaching the distance runners during uh, track and, during the track and field season. So, but I, I'm glad I did. I mean, it just helped me uh, expand as a coach. It helped me to uh, respect other event areas even more than I already had. And um, it was just uh, it was awesome for that. And at Robert Morris also became the strength coach, the head strength coach, the, the first head strength coach that they had for the first four years that I was there. And then, um, so I was wearing a lot of different hats. Right. <laughs> we, we co- coached the two of us for the first few years before we had others, anybody else on staff, it was cross country, indoor track and outdoor track. And then at the end of that first year, I started becoming the head strength coach for a few sports and then bam, I'm, the head strength coach for like 15 sports, including all the track and fields and cross country. So, <laughs> you know, I have to also agree with you about coach Smith, kind of just making you broaden your coaching, coaching world, if you will, when it comes to knowing what to do in different events, uh, Nash did this Nash did the same thing. when I was a GA there uh, for my one year, getting my master's degree, he, uh, he, he, he told me to go, I think it was in Jersey at the time. He, uh, for that year at least, he he signed me up, and I got my USATF Level One certification. Um, and you know, when I took over as a head coach at the high school level at Urbana High School right now, uh, back in '09, you know, that's all I knew. Like I, I from Coach Smith, from you, from Nash. I mean, you just coached all kinds of different events. And uh, I think I got a lot of that from coach Smith. Cause he kind of, that's kind of how he coached. That's kind of how he made his staff coach as well. You just weren't going to settle just for, you know, one event area. You're going to, you were going to coach variety of different events. And, um, you know, I, I really, I really am fortunate enough that I went to Robert Morris and, and, and got that kind of from coach, coach Smith there. And, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate and, lucky enough to be where I am now that I kind of have that knowledge of all, of all event areas. Absolutely. And and it it helps you become a better coach in the event area that you're in. It's more relatable. You have, you can relate different concepts and things. Um, Yeah. Coach Smith was, was, was great. I mean, he, he cared about everybody. He cared about his coaches and uh, he really pushed you to, to, to expand your horizons. And, you know, in the first few years, we were the only coaches, the two of us, coaching both uh, 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 men's and women's cross-country, indoor and outdoor track teams. Wow. I had to share everything. <laughs> right. You know, and so, uh, that, yeah, and that was So that uh, was let's concentrate experience. a little bit more on your time at the Naval Academy. You were the assistant women's coach. Um, so how was your time there as a coach? Obviously, it was different 
you know, recruiting strategy than the other schools you've coached at before. But, you know, how was your time as a coach there? Um, it was awesome. It was a great uh, promotion for me. Um, it was a great experience. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, coaching just the women's program, you know, I was, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I started coaching men only at Ball State. Then it was men and women at, at, the, at uh, Robert Morris. And then women only at the Naval Academy in a male dominated institution. <laughs> you know, at the time I was, at the time I was there, I think it was 18% women at the Naval Academy. And, uh, and a good percentage of that was on our track team. We had 70 girls on our team. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, it was a, it was a big group. And then my boss and our, my other colleague, there's three on staff, both women, and I'm the only guy. So it was, it was kind of funny. Um, but uh, I get picked on and whatever else. But uh, in a way, I was I realized that I was kind of there as like a father figure for some of these these young women to help guide them and support them. And, you know, a lot of the support was in an institution that is, you know, is dominated by men. And so it's just there's a different uh, vibe. There's a different feel at a school like that. Um, so, you know, my, my job was really support them as any way I could. And uh, so I, I felt like I did a pretty decent job and and uh still have long relationships with you know relationships with them beyond track and field and still keep in contact with a lot of people so that's what that's wonderful um recruiting wise was interesting when i first got there you know great advice from the, one of the lacrosse coaches said you're going to be lost your first year the second year you think you're, you got it but you don't <laughs> you're going to realize at the end of the year you're still lost and it'll be the third or fourth year to kind of get a hang of recruiting at an institution like this. Um, but I did have an interesting transition because at the time that it came in was also around the housing market crash of 2007, 2008, that, that kind of time frame, And uh, the recruiting was unprecedented for everybody. Everything was changing tremendously because with the housing crash, people are upside down at homes, didn't have money. So more applicants to the Naval Academy because if you get into the Naval Academy, it's like it doesn't matter if you're a normal uh, a student or an athlete. Everybody's on a full scholarship, basically. So tuition, room, and board is all paid for, and they're actually getting paid monthly as well because they're considering an officer in training. They don't want you to focus on the extras. They want you to they, they pay you a small amount of money to as a stipend monthly. So you're not trying to get part-time jobs when you go home on vacations and things like that. You're just focused on becoming an officer. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting recruiting challenge initially, but then again, we had such a high application rate. So because of the housing crash, I think we went from the typical year was 7,000 applicants to the Naval Academy and there's only 1100 spots. So you can do the math on that. There's, you know, it's, a, it's very, very, very hard to get in. And then it increased in over the next three or four years to like 16,000 applicants. So I think we might've hit 18,000 by the fifth year or something like that. That was the max. But my first year when they, the first, the second year, when they went to 9,000 applicants, it was unheard of. Well, except for 1984 when Top Gun came out and that's when the application jumped like a couple thousand, but, but, but since then they hadn't had that. So, um, and I was actually surprised at how, well, how easy initially it was to attract young women to the Naval Academy when you think about war and things of that nature. 
a lot of people were very interested because it had a good, it, the school's academics are great. Uh, the opportunity to serve your country and, you know, basically get paid to do that. You know, people kind of understood that. There were some people that were, parents were, were concerned about seeing, you know, uh, their daughter going into battle and things of that nature. But for the most part, there was a lot of good reception. <clears throat> and then that kind of led to the next piece, which girls never say no, <laughs> right? So in terms of like, they, they want to, ple- they're, they're kind of, they tend to be pleasers in some way. And so I would call a kid and a girl and she'd be so excited and, but never hear from him again. So I kind of had to learn to trust my intuition when I talk to a kid, is this a real yes or is this a ah, fake yes sort of thing? But uh, that, that kind of helped me in my recruiting to another level to really understand people and to trust my intuition and, and uh, kind of dig a little deeper than just the surface level kind of way. Right. I actually have a girl there. She graduated from Urbana last year. Uh, she's on the cross country team, Sarah Jarman. And uh, oh, nice. she's, she's loving, loving life there. Obviously it's different, but uh, she's one of those girls where she's just so, so tough and so driven, you know, she's right where she, Yeah. you know, you were also a teacher and an activity instructor at the Naval Academy. Tell me about that. Yeah, I was a professor of physical education. So I taught like activity courses. Um, I did teach a few kinesiology courses as well that were just, you know, um, the kinesiology courses happen a little later in their, I think at the time they did as a junior, now it's like a sophomore, but really they're, they're, it's an officer training school for the Navy, the Naval Academy. So these young men and women, once they graduate, they're an officer, they're, they're in charge of all the enlisted and as they move up the ranks, they're in charge of other officers. So they're leaders right off the bat. And they learn to do that at the Naval Academy as well in different leadership roles throughout their time there. And so, you know, they may have someone that needs to pass the PRT, which is a physical readiness uh, test where they do like semesterly or twice a year, a, a mile and a half run, push-ups and sit-ups and uh, you know, to, to, to check to make sure they're in condition and, and those types of things. So so in order to get somebody from maybe that's overweight or, you know, that can't pass a test or needs more uh, help and something other physically, um, we, that course is really to teach them the dynamics, the, the background, the, the basics of health and training. Basically what we do as coaches um, in terms of making our teams great is what we're teaching them how to create a plan and a, and a program to effectively you know, train whatever need that they need for their salaries. So that was an awesome course to teach. And then I, I taught in the Marine Corps martial arts and, and rock climbing and some different, different courses that were kind of standard for all midshipmen to take. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Let's uh, switch gears back to these student athletes. And, uh, you know, I have many, many young listeners that could really benefit from hearing this. So let's discuss managing up as a high school athlete when it comes to their training and their events so that they can reach their full potential. You know, you have all these kinds of different high school coaches out there that some with more knowledge and experience than others, of course, but we all want or at least should want the same thing for these student athletes. And that is giving them the best experience that we can. Some athletes push themselves too hard at practice and after practice, and then they eventually burn out. Some coaches can be way too hard on their own student athletes. I know for me personally, especially for student athletes who are going off 
and on to the next level to compete in college, I actually undertrain them. And I know college coaches truly appreciate this. So, you know, tell me about managing up, man. Yeah, uh, I guess the first the first thing is I always talk about when and uh, is for the athlete to come to practice where the brain's on. <laughs> it, it's 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 kind of a funny concept. Uh, that's probably the best way I can kind of translate it. But I think a lot of kids come to practice for just like the 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 herd mentality, following the herd, just kind of follow along and do what they said, and but don't take any sort of understanding of it. I mean, your best kids are going to want, are going to crave it and they're going to want to learn, but a lot of, but sometimes it takes a time to get there. So I say, come to practice your brain on, be ready to learn and understand and, 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 and make it like another subject in school. You know, you go to math class, you're ready. You, you have to be ready to understand what's going on and then ask questions so you can understand at a deeper level what's going on. And that's the same thing with track. Uh, in, in, in track and in your vent area. So I would say come to practice your brain on because as a, as a, you know, seasoned expert coach, you know, I got a lot of information on how to make you better. And my goal is to make you good as fast as I can. And, and you, the athlete wants that too. And so they got to understand the concepts um, that you're teaching as a coach. I mean, um so, so that's the first one. Second one, obviously, part of that is to educate yourself, you know, become a student of your sport or an event. Um, and then, you know, the power of questions. You know, I become a better coach myself when my athletes challenge me and ask questions. You know, some coaches don't like that because they think it's an objection to authority. But really, if it's, if it's poignant in, 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 in terms of, you're asking a specific question and not just to objectifying to, to everything, but you ask us a, a specific question with a, with a specific curiosity, you know, a, a true curiosity, then, um, you know, that's going to, that's going to help you develop a relationship with your coaches. Your coaches are going to trust you more. You'll trust your coaches more. So questions and suggestions and those types of things, you know, especially if you're an educated athlete, you know, and maybe you don't have a, how do I say is a, a very experienced coach in a certain event area. And that happens a lot in throws, you know, so unfortunately I, you know, there's still a lot of coaches that a lot of throwers that don't have coaches, a lot of field eventers that don't have coaches because for some reason coaches tend to stay away from technical events. Right. You see it at all levels. You know, that's why some colleges only focus on, cross country and distance and not the technical events. They don't have sprints, jumps and throws, which is, which is, you know, disheartening for the sport of track and field, but it, it's a reality. So, um, so, you know, so if you have a coach like that, you know, the power of questions, suggestions, you know, Hey, I, I, I was showing this coach that you're a student is amazing, you know, and it'll help. It might even motivate that coach to, to step up their game because they're like, Oh, wow, this kid knows a lot of stuff maybe a little bit more than I know, I need to read something about this or, or do a little more coaching education. And uh, so, so the power of questions and suggestions to coaches and other athletes, you know, that's, that's a great concept in terms of managing up and helping you grow as an athlete, your program grow, your coaches grow. So everybody, um, and then sharing all that knowledge that you get as a, as a student of your sport to your teammates and coaches and parents as well, because parents are a huge component in this, because parents want their children to do well. So they're always looking for 
other ways to help them. I mean, that's how I got into high school coaching, really, because I started a throws camp at the Naval Academy. And um, parents are looking for help for their kids. And they wanted something else close to home. And so, um, you know, that's how my camps grew. And I grew exponentially, doubled every year for five years. It was crazy. Um, because, you know, parents are a huge uh, piece of the puzzle. Um, and then just, you know, do your learning on, on how to market yourself for if you want to go into college and uh, continue your sport on to college. Um, and, and that'll, I mean, get into, this kind of gets into recruiting a little bit too, is that as a high school athlete, uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the recruiting process is from a high school per, athlete perspective. Right. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm good. I should get college scholarships offers. Right. <laughs> and that's really not how it works at the track and field level. Um, you have to be the best in the world, your best in the country, top, you know, 20, 30 kid in track and field for people to come after you, right? Hard. And it's the same thing with, with football and basketball. And everybody thinks it's like football and basketball and what we see on TV. And it's really not that way. Um, as a coach, so you heard what I, how many hats I wore at Robert Morris. I was teaching and coaching at the Naval Academy. Um, it's a lot recruiting, you know, to keep up with kids. And, and, and they have to be self-starters in themselves in order for them to really – take that themselves to the next level um so these you know i always say send information out that's how i that's how i was recruited right yeah actually i actually wrote six i looked at a, a college book and looked at all the schools i think it was east of the mississippi because my mom didn't want me to go west <laughs> <laughs> and south of i don't know maryland i think it was and i just applied a bunch of school i just sent a letters to all their coaches I'm a 6'4", 210-pound senior. Um, these are my PRs in the discus and shop put, and I do soccer, basketball, and track. And I just wrote a letter before all these college recruiting things were out, and I just sent it out. And to my surprise, I got like 30 responses. I was like, wow, that's like 30 more than I thought I'd get. <laughs> yeah. So in the same way, nothing's changed in 25 years. You still have to get out there and promote yourself and, and, and let people know who you are because a, a, a college coaches life is very busy and if they have a family that makes it even harder to, to really get out there and recruit. So um, meet them halfway is basically what I, I say as a, as a, um, as a high school athlete um, when you're um, to, um, to get yourself recruited and there's no shame in that at all. I mean, don't think oh. that, Oh, you're lesser than because a, you're not a college coach is not coming up to you, but you have to come go up to them. So that's that's huge. That helps our job tremendously. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and that's all about you know managing up and kind of getting yourself into you know the college that you're hoping for or you know uh, uh, you know your post high school career as a as a student athlete, whether it be track or another sport. And then you mentioned the power of suggestion. I think coming from you as experienced, you know, kind of expert, kind of a coach. That's that's deep, and coaches don't want to hear from you know their athletes and anything like that and not that you're getting pushed back there but that's 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 kind of being going back to kind of being that kind of people athlete kind of coach that you are you know uh i like that yeah 
and that, and that, and nowadays with private coaches out there and different coaches for different leagues, because I know as a high school coach, you have limitations on when you can coach your kids. So they're they're up to maybe they go to a junior Olympic team and they have a different coach there or they have a private coach to help them move forward on something else. So there's a lot of coaching going on. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, voices in these kids' heads. So, um, you know, when you go to your high school for your high school team, uh, which is the majority of your your experience as an athlete, you know, you're learning some different things from your private coach possibly. You need, you, there's got to be a transition. You don't want to lose what you learn if your your high school coach has a has a different philosophy. So you have to kind of bridge that gap. And that can be challenging. That's what I've, I've run into a lot of the kids that I've worked with uh, privately is they're having a hard time with their coach having a completely different philosophy. And so, and that's where the, the this is where the brain, the number one thing, have your brain on when you come into a practice, because now you are a, um, a filter <laughs> between multiple coaches. Yep. And so if you don't understand your event, know your event and know the concepts to it, you're not, you're going to, you're going to be in a conundrum of who do I listen to? And so um, the way I train the kids I train, I want them to understand the event as much as possible and understand the, 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 the mechanics, the physics, um, the physiology behind the movements so they can make an intelligent decision if they hear feedback that may not be completely on the spot. Because, you know, kids get it from everywhere, parents, coaches, multiple coaches, an administrator that used to be a hurdler or something says, says something. So they have to be really well under, um, versed as a student to filter all those things that are coming and say, yeah, that's a good suggestion or that. Uh, no, he means really well, but this is what I really need to do. Or, oh, that was a great observation. I can learn, still learn something from that. So that's, that's the ultimate to managing up right there. So, uh, you know, I can only imagine how much more free time you have on your hands uh, now that you're not coaching specifically in the college ranks. Um, but I'm glad to see that you are still blessing young women and men with your knowledge of uh, the throwing events. I know you didn't expect mm -hmm. me to do this, but I appreciate you taking the time to do this episode with me. So I know you're a private coach, so please tell the viewers about your online course for throwers. Yeah, um, so I, I was uh, trying to be really specific in a certain area, and, and the motivation for me going online um, was when I when I so my last year, last few years college coaching, I was heading the camps. The camps really took off, um, and I started. The kids came to me; they wanted private coaching because a camp is great in that you get introduced to a lot of good information, but it's like a onslaught of information for three or four days and you can only absorb so much. So um, having private coaching or, or having a, a camp that extends over a longer period of time and having good coaches over time, that's where you're going to develop. And so, um, you know, so I, I started coaching. That's where I coached Alian Amar, who was a national champion in the shot put. Um, he, he improved like from 45 feet in the shot put to 60 feet in less than five months, you know? And so, that kind of got me on the roll. I started coaching athletes all of 2019 and then COVID, uh, part of 2020 and then COVID hit. So um, I, but before that I was coaching a high school, helping out a high school. And I was just went to these meets and just was 
kind of in shock that for throwers, <clears throat> it still was kind of the same old, same old. There's a few good coaches, a few coaches are teaching a lot of old stuff, maybe the way they learned and no coaches at all for some kids. And I, I, I ended up coaching at this high school. I was coaching all these different kids from different schools that didn't have coaches because I was like, this is terrible. You know, right. again, back to, yeah, back to some of these kids not having, having a coach. And so I didn't want to just put all my eggs in one basket. I saw a greater need. And that's why I said, I'm going to start an online program so I can reach a bigger audience. Okay. Um, and so I just focus right now. My first, my first program is just focused on, on shopping and discus for high schoolers. And um, my catchphrase is spinning is winning. So I'm teaching the rotational shop put to uh, high school kids or, you know, anybody who's interested in the rotational shop, but I'm not just high school kids, but, but uh, it's open to anybody. And basically, um, um, yeah, I just, I, I created an online personal coaching program um, that's, that's focused around the shop, uh, I'm sorry, shopping and discus throwers to throw farther, uh, teaching them the rotational technique. That's kind of my, my, my focus. Um, and it doesn't matter experience level, you know, if, if they've, spun before if they've thrown before doesn't matter if they've never thrown before it's all you know my follow-through coaching program will uh, get them you know successful in as little as four weeks so i uh the the course itself is um i'm going to be launching it shortly (laughs) hopefully in march march time frame so you know if anybody's interested you know hopefully you can get out to me and reach out to me um but uh it's uh it's a two, it's a, it's two types of courses, a basic and an advanced, a five week and a nine week program. And the five week is a basic learning the spin and the shot put and discus. And, um, um, <clears throat> and the nine week is a little more advanced training and more training principles that'll help, you know, solidify some of the uh, technical pieces and make them help them throw a lot further. Um, <clears throat> and I choose a spin and people are, you know, probably wondering why not the glide and the glide is um for throwers it's it's a tough technique to really throw far with um that the shuffle or the stand throw it's um you know you have to be a tremendous athlete because the people that were successful at the gliding are tremendous athletes and not to say that people aren't tremendous athletes it's just to say that the spin is 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 more um has more allowances, if you will, okay? Um, You can create more force, more speed, more power with a spin, all right? And with the discus and shot put, most most kids throw both the discus and shot put if they're a thrower. Why not learn one technique that'll help both? You know, with Elian, uh, with just a couple of months of training the discus in outdoor season, he improved his personal best 50 feet. Oh, wow. And that's because it's because he was already training the shot put spin and so he went out and he threw in, in less than two months i think it was like six weeks or something because he had an injury they couldn't train it all for a couple of weeks during the middle of the spring season he goes out and went from 123 feet to 178 feet in the discus <clears throat> so um and that was a result of what the training he was doing for shot put indoors because you don't have an opportunity to maybe throw discus when it's snowing out and those types of things so that's why i focus on on the spin and, uh, you know, I want kids to, to experience success, you know, 
uh, a lot of kids are out there that don't have that have the potential but don't have the resources, especially if you don't have a throws coach. Yeah. Um, and so the yeah, so the program is there really to help get them started. And it's not just the athletes; it's the parents and coaches. I welcome parents and coaches to the program as well, because learning how to do it is a great way to learn how to coach it. Yeah. Um, I remember my first, my first coaching job at Ball State University. I really wasn't a javelin guy. I knew a little bit about it. I, I threw it a little bit in college, but I didn't know much about it. So I had to go out there and learn all the different things that I was learning as a basic, as, a, as the basics of javelin and me getting out there helped me learn it really, really quickly. And in turn, I had a kid that went from 155 feet to 220 feet, uh, I'm sorry, 210 feet our first year. So, um, again, I was learning with them, but I always wanted to stay one step ahead of them. So I was learning everything I could about it. Um, so I welcome coaches to the program as well. <clears throat> when I, uh, when I put this podcast out and, um, this episode, I'll make sure I put your email address in the description. So if anyone that's listening is interested in this, uh, online throws course, if you will, with, uh, with, with Sarge here, then you can get his email in the description at, and of this podcast and kind of go from there. So let's get into, um, the importance of effective relationship building. Obviously, you know, you're trying to build a relationship, especially as a private coach here. So, you know, what are you looking for there? Um, you know, I'm just looking for kids who are motivated, you know, and want to get better and are open-minded. Um, that's really what it comes down to. Honestly, when I started private coaching, kids were coming to me. They're finding me. Right. I, okay. I honestly hadn't promoted myself at all. It wasn't like I was promoting myself as I'm a, I'm, I'm a, a private coach. Kids just kind of found me through my camps and then clinics. And then from talking to people who are being coached by me. So, um, so for me, it's a new concept to kind of market myself this way, but it's a lot like recruiting. You're marketing your, your, your school and your, your program. And, you know, when I was, I know I got a good product and I just want to help kids. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. As long as it, as long as it's, as long as it starts from that, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, uh, that's going to build a relationship and, and, and people are, kids especially are very in tune to motivations of people. And, um, and I think that, uh, um, that that's how you start a relationship really with any sort of kid that you're working with, um, with genuine, um, desire to help somebody. And, uh, like I said, people pick up on that pretty quickly. Right. And then, you know, to your point, as you build your relationship, you know, they, they gotta, they know that you're care for them, that you love them and you want the best for them and everything else just falls in place to be completely honest with you. There's not a lot you have to do. What's your, uh, what's your outlook on camps? Uh, camps again, like I said earlier, are, are a great opportunity to, um, to maybe get a, a lot of knowledge from some knowledgeable people. A lot of the camps I know, they bring in a lot of different different instructors, college, high school, whatever coaches um, to kind of advance your knowledge in a certain area. Um, they're great if you take them for what they're uh, what they are. <laughs> it's a, a lot of information, very short period of time. 
Um, and you also got to kind of know the logistics. You know, I had a young man that I coached. Uh, he came to me at the end of his uh, junior year. He, it was interesting. He was a, um, he came to me and he was like, he'd thrown 46 feet. He was like, states, I want to win states during three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't know. Well, <laughs> three weeks is three weeks, right? right? But the kid improved from 46 to 52 in three oh, weeks. Oh, wow. You know? And so he wanted to work with me and then, but he had already signed up for a camp and this camp that he went to, I found out later, he, you know, there's a, there's a ton of kids and they all use like the one circle. So he literally got like 25 throws in four oh, days. That's wow. it. I mean, and so, you know, every, you got into the circle once every 30 minutes, it was just not very conducive. So you kind of, kind of know the logistics of the camp. What I did, and this is, you know, I used to coach other camps I used to do the Shippensburg camp in Pennsylvania for years and they got a great camp out there and they started something. They, they continued on a tradition. I started, I just took all the shot putters. I was coaching shot putters and I, and I took, I went, took them to a parking lot and I drew circles. <laughs> yeah. I drew, I drew 10 circles and I had 30 kids. So there's three kids per circle and they got, you know, 10 times as many throws in than everybody else and 10 times as many drills doing things because you know, there's 10, 10 circles. So, um, so camps, you got to kind of know, you know, what their philosophies are. And they still do that today at the Shippensburg camp. They still have 10 circles. Um, what I did at the Naval Academy, I didn't have that same opportunity, but we threw off the track, just draw circles on the track. You're, you're learning. You don't yeah. really need the exact circle and the cage. It doesn't help you do anything. <laughs> so, and, and you want to know what the coach coach to athlete ratio is. I tried to keep our camp at a, like one to 10, one to 15. I think it got up to because I was overwhelmed with how many people we got in the last year. But, you know, if you one coach to 30 kids, that's hard, you know, unless they have 10 circles out there. And that's how I, that's how I bridge that gap to get the more personal um, contact. with kids. Okay. Again, if uh, we're talking to coach Sarah Jonas, AKA sorry, address in the description on this episode. So if you want to reach out to him regarding throws or just want to talk to him, uh, the his email address will be there for you guys to do that. We're almost done here. I got a couple more questions. We're almost at an hour right now. Um, so we're going to go to the questions, the last few questions now, but then I also want to end with something pretty cool that you have done over the last year. So, What's your best advice to a high school student athlete looking in college? Um, a lot of it kind of falls into that managing up, but um, uh, you know, market yourself out there. Don't don't wait for people to come to you. That's probably that's probably the biggest thing I, I would say is uh, is the most important thing that you can do. Um, the other thing is get your grades straight. That that's huge. You, op you, you open a lot more doors by having your grades in line um, <clears throat> uh, and taking your SATs or ACTs early. Uh, and I say early because I know that sophomore year is probably not the best time. Somewhere in your junior year may be the, most, the, the best time to do it because of certain subjects you're covering. <clears throat> um, you may not have that for the SATs, but Taking it as early as you can, I say your earlier junior year because the, the recruiting process starts for most kids junior year um, or even at the end of your sophomore year, just to find out where you are with it. Uh, most schools will mix and match and take your best scores. So like they'll, they'll take your, 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 your um, 
best ACT from one test, uh, ACT math and combine it with your best uh, verbal from another test. Okay. So, so take it as many times as you can. It'll super score and take the ACT even if you're used to, your school only does SAT because you may be better at the ACT and not know it. And that way it gives you some idea of how to how, how to move forward because also, most schools take both SAT and ACT. Right. And some kids, like I said, may be better at one than the other. And so with the super scoring or taking the test multiple times, you can you know, maybe just, you know, honestly, as a, as a strategy, focus on just math for one test and focus on verbal for another test. And you have could have really two really good scores that you could combine. So um, that's why I say take it early so you can take it multiple times. Um, also figure out what you're, what you're weak at and take a, 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 a CT prep course either via school, online, a book, whatever, to help you in those areas to really boost your score. Um, I know the Naval Academy is huge other in terms of like, you had to have this SAT or ACT to get in. Um, And they have a hundred something years of, of uh, data saying that this score works. (laughs) And I'm not sure about all other schools, some weigh it heavier than others. And some schools want your grades to be up. So that's why I say, take care of your grades as soon as you can. Um, It's never too late. You know, that kid that I had at Ball State University, the walk on, he had a terrible freshman sophomore year. He was into trouble doing in high school. He was into a bunch of t- trouble stuff and, uh, you know, she, he was in trouble, almost got arrested or almost got arrested or something like that as a young, young man. And then he turned himself around and was good enough to get into school. He graduated with a uh, summa cum laude. He, gra- he got a PhD in, in physiology and he worked with doctors on, on, on cutting edge research for, um, for, for paralyzation and getting limbs to work from other parts is stuff that is way beyond over my head. But so, I mean, it's never right. too late. Right. What I say, um, what else, uh, for a kid? Um, I think that's really about it. What do you, what do you tell your kids? I mean, you're, you're, you're in their ear more than a college coach is. What do you, what do you, what do you tell them I, all the time? I, to get, to I agree with you. College? Like you said, I mean, they are a student, first right so your academics is so huge you have to be winning in the classroom before you start winning on the track or the soccer field or whatever the case may be uh that is that is the first important thing you have to consider and you just have to be a good person too i mean when you're talking to these college coaches you got to be professional you gotta you know whenever you're emailing them you gotta be professional you gotta make sure your you know cv or resume in line and with your accomplishments and you know, if you do talk to them on the phone, or when you do talk to them on the phone, you have to, you have to make sure you're talking to them, being you, and just being as professional as you can, because they're going to spend a lot of money on you if you get the scholarship, and for the next over the next four years, you're going to be a very important person to them. So that's 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 always been kind of my my words to my girls. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, on the other side of, so both sides, we're both vetting each other, basically as a college coach, I'm, I'm just figuring you out and trying to meet you and your family, find out if you're a good fit for my program. At the same time, you need to do the same thing as a, as an athlete with the, the, the school and the coaches that you're looking at. So I always say, visit the school, you know, meet and talk to the coaching staff, talk to the kids. Hey, how's so-and-so coach style and how do you guys like being on this team? Those types of things, ask those types of questions. Cause from years of having kids on, on campus, you know, 
uh, we like having parents on campus because they ask a lot of good questions. They're thinking this way, and sometimes a kid isn't. So, and if you don't have a parent that can come to you on a visit, and that, that's the case for a lot of times, you know, you have to kind of manage up and, and be like, think like your parent in a way. Um, you know, the big thing I tell people right off the bat, if you're looking for a scholarship, don't ask that question right off the bat. Hey, how much money you got for me? How, what are you going to, how much scholarship can you give me? Establish a relationship, you know, vet the schools, a school that you is a real contender is a possibility for you. And then bring that, that stuff up once you've built a relationship. Exactly. Um, yep. And I think you talked about this on another episode, uh, um, but uh, consider division two and three junior college and NAIA. There, there's some great schools there. You know, um, they're great schools, great programs, great coaches. You know, if the school really speaks to you, but is not division one, it's okay. And maybe that's the route that you need to go. Um, it's still, it's still a great benefit. And a lot of kids that walk on in certain programs can actually get a scholarship offer, you know, and that comes with a relationship building of the coach. Hey coach, you know, maybe I, I walk on, but you know, if I, become a conference um, contender or a contributor, can I get a scholarship? You know, that's, that's what happened to Zach. My, my first kid at uh, Ball State, he was a walk-on. And, man, after that set, his sophomore year going to nationals, we had to give him a scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so by, by the time his, his senior year came around, we managed to move enough money around to give him a full scholarship for the last two years of his career. So, um you know, some programs do that. Some programs don't. And that's all that vetting process of, of, uh, of, of, of recruiting yourself to a school. And uh, you know, social media is awesome. Instagram, uh, Elian, I coach in high school, that was a national champion. You know, he used um, Instagram to meet throwers from other schools and talk to them through Instagram and got an idea of what their program was like. So, there's a lot of different media outlets out there that can help you. And most coaches now have Instagram and Facebook pages. So, you know, the, the, the translation of information is a lot easier than just waiting for that. Phone it's, call. Thank God. It's unreal. <laughs> Social media. And you mentioned Instagram actually. Yeah. When the uh, high school world record, a hundred meter relay went down. Uh, the, the four girls actually got together via Instagram, started DMing each other. And that's kind of how they formed a superstar team, basically, and got together and, you know, ran that relay and the 4 by 800 meter relay a couple of weeks ago in Virginia here and broke the broke the world record. Um, wow. And, and got started with Instagram. Wow. That, see, when, that's amazing. When you have three legs going 205 or faster, you know, it's why not get together if you, if you can do this and they allowed it. So yeah, the world record went down and uh, it was, it was awesome to watch that race. You, um, you've obviously speaking of track meets and un unbelievable races. I wasn't at that track meet. I saw it live um, on social media, but uh, what's the craziest and most amazing thing you've seen at a track meet? Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So uh I was recruiting, this goes way back to like 2002 or three. I was recruiting the West Virginia State meet. Um, and uh, that's actually where I found Aaron Gursky. He was at that meet and uh, I oh. recruited him from there. But, uh, you know, Michael sent me to West Virginia State meet. He was probably at the Pennsylvania State meet. You know, all the coaches, are, we try to spread out and get all the state meets at the end of the year. And uh, <laughs> two things, two events that happened there that same day. 
um, it was at Laidley Field down in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. I think it was in Charleston. And uh, uh, for, first off, the so you, you as a as a sprints coach, you coach the hurdlers. <laughs> yep. You know how hard it is to get one good hurdler in high school. Imagine four good hurdlers, right? Yeah. Shuttle hurdles. You talking about shuttle hurdle relays? Shuttle hurdle relays. They do it at the Penn relays. They do it at some big meets, but it's very rare to see. But they had it at the West Virginia High School State Meet. Wow. And I'll never forget it because the head coach at West Virginia at the time, Jeff Huntuni, called me up. He's like, Steven, you got to come see this. And so I was up there with him. I was like, oh, they're doing the shuttle hurdle relays. You haven't seen anything yet. This is the demolition derby of track and field because, again, you don't have really good hurdlers. And they're going right. – they're, they're crossing back and forth. Oh my God. I saw so much insane. I mean, kids hitting hurdles, kids hitting each other, kids scraping themselves on the, on the ground. It was just the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life for a, for a high school um, uh, track meet um, in, in terms of the running events. And then going to the throwing events, you know, I, there's a kid, I'll never forget this. So the way back in the day, it was uh, back in that time, uh, high school still had the 45 degree sector. So it was a wider sector to throw within the way that the field was set up. I think at about 155 feet, there was like this little hill, like this three foot hill that kind of jutted out into the sector, maybe another 40 feet or something. So if you hit the hill, you got a replacement throw. Okay. Cause it couldn't mark it. Right. <laughs> and this, and, and, and the, and there's a fence like 190 feet too. So there wasn't like, it wasn't a great throwing field for, for, for throwers. And, you know, West Virginia didn't, didn't had okay throwers. I mean, I think the state record uh, for shot was something like 63 feet. That was Randy Barnes, who's the world record holder still in the shot put. He's from West Virginia and like maybe 180 feet in the discus. So they didn't have a lot of people that were hitting the hill, but there was this kid, great looking athlete, 6'3", 10 feet, the, the 61 feet glide. He was the anchor for his four by one team that won the oh, state wow. meet. He was, I think I clocked him at like 10 9. I was really impressed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tremendous athlete. So he gets in the discus, very first throw. He, so to give a little scope, so the fence is 190 feet, and there's maybe 10 feet between the fence and the first house in this neighborhood because there's a neighborhood there. So he not only went over the fence and he hit the top of the roof of a two-story home. I wow. kid you not. Wow. The crowd went nuts. I felt horrible. I'm like, this kid got robbed <laughs> because they can't measure the throw. Right. And it was easily 250 feet. Easily. Oh, wow. wow. I mean, you got to think, if, if, if the house is around 190, 200 feet and he hit the middle of the roof of a, of a two-story home, I mean, this thing was easily a national record by 20 or 30 feet. Jeez. And so he got a replacement throw. Next throw, he hit the side of the house. Still probably a 234, 40-foot throw. Put a huge dent in, in this guy's aluminum siding. Next throw, <laughs> right down the middle, 177 feet. Everything else he threw into the cage. He was – and, you know, but nobody would know the difference. You know, nobody know, was the wiser. You know, this poor kid lost – a op- huge opportunity to possibly get recruited by every cool school in the country <laughs> right. that day. Oh. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I knew the throws, he, he was going to Marshall. I found out that day. And 
Fortunately, he rode the pine for four years at Marshall, never played, and and gone. <clears throat> oh man, yeah. yeah, it's funny now. So like... that, that's a go ahead. I was just saying that's the unfortunate part of this. I was gonna say it's funny because that you said that was like oh three oh four, and you know nowadays, you know, probably someone's gonna have that on video. Video is gonna be viral, right? Of him hitting this yeah. house nowadays and all these college coaches would be calling them yeah, just absolutely during times yeah man um absolutely that's crazy so uh speaking of crazy you are a little bit crazy like to have fun <laughs> and uh you went rving around the united states tell me about that where'd you go how long were you going what was your favorite spot yeah, so last year uh, we had bought an RV thinking, oh, we'll rent our house in Annapolis and uh, my wife could work from anywhere. And I was trying to get started an online program and uh, we started off and COVID hit. <laughs> and we just kept. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we were in Florida for a little while during COVID because nobody knew what anything was going on and where you could go and traveling and, and blah, blah, blah. But then from there we took off in beginning of May across country you know we stopped in new orleans which was cool nobody was out so my wife and i rode our bikes through um bourbon street and all that area with nobody out there it was kind of cool to see the place without anybody there <laughs> yeah, yeah. um yeah and then we just kind of went west we really we we love the west we love colorado area i love mountains i love hiking so you know we went to uh mexico this is beautiful there's a bunch of foot hikes out there you hike and um went on all through all the national parks and we went through a ton of national parks and got to see the whole country and all i think we went to like 20s and all um loved absolutely loved uh glacier national park and the grand tetons the grand tetons are just is kind of butt up to the yellow park and um love that that was our favorite and i like taos as well in new mexico because the hiking out there was beautiful the time of the year that we were there it was early june and you know the snow's melting and you're seeing the beauty of spring can really come in so uh absolutely recommend it to everybody all these great places to go go to glacier park it's just the most amazing like if you love nature it's the most amazing nature experience ever that's and you were going what January twenty eighth to November of twenty twenty. Yeah, we came back in November, and we're actually thinking about taking off again. So <laughs> oh, maybe in a couple of weeks we're going to take off again. So um, okay, it, my wife can still work from the road, and and as I start up this online program, I'm hoping to be able to do that from the road as well. There you go. That's 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 pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, definitely definitely jealous. My wife and I talked about it but that's all we got and we that's it's just been a discussion not that we would do anything she's she's back in the school building right now as a teacher's teaching uh virtually still but in the school building um i got my daughter right next to me right now actually uh in math class so uh it's (laughs) uh crazy crazy times right now but uh i'm glad i'm glad you're healthy i'm glad RV. I'm glad and uh, blessed that you were able to, you know, join me on this episode. You know, I, I hope our young listeners will take full advantage of this nice conversation that you and I had. And shout out to you if if they want to, you know, be coached by you with 
in the throws area, but also just your words of advice and, you know, kind of encouragement with managing up and just kind of your experience, just kind of speaking to them. Um, I think that can mean a lot for them and uh, you can, they can take a lot from this episode. So I appreciate your time, man. Absolutely, CJ. Thank you for having me on this show. It's a, it was, I mean, it's a, it's an honor to be interviewed by you. And uh, um, it, it's, it's been wonderful for me as an experience to listen to some of your other, um, you know, your other uh, uh, people that you, you, you've interviewed. They're awesome. And right. so just to be right. part of that group is, is, uh, is an honor for me. Um, you I have a Instagram page, Intuitive Training Systems, uh, or Intuitive Training. Okay. It's a uh, systems. It's a uh, on Instagram, and so they can look find me out from there. I'll be posting some different stuff. I post some things every now and again. I'm I'm doing a better job getting to it more now, but uh, but they can okay. find me email. So, but uh, thank you so much for having me on. Okay. Uh, it's been been awesome to catch up and and talk to you a little bit further about track and field and what I love. <clears throat> No, it's, it's, I, I appreciate it, man. You, uh, you know, I miss, I miss going to the Prince George's sports complex and seeing you roaming the building there. And we always run into each other when I'm at the state meet and you're recruiting. And, uh, when you were with, you know, with the Naval Academy, um, during those, during those years, uh, it was always good to run into you. And occasionally I'd run into you at Morgan state as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to miss those times, but I know uh, we're going to keep in touch. And heck, I might even have you back on in this podcast sometime down the road for something else to talk about. So I, I really, really do appreciate you and uh, we'll be in touch for sure. Family and you and, uh, and all your kids, all your kids out there training and staying fit for this upcoming season. Is this still going to happen? So we're actually finishing up indoor track right now, which Mother Nature is basically ruined that for us um <laughs> indoor track on the outside outdoor track so you know we won't we won't be having any track meets we we're supposed to have one tomorrow actually um we're taping this episode um before this is going to come out so this episode is going to come out in about two weeks so this right now it's february 5th we're supposed to have sixth um tomorrow saturday but that meet has been postponed and canceled most likely. And then uh, with the weather looking like it's going to be super, super cold next week, February 8th, um, I don't know if we're going to have any track meets at all. So then we go into cross country from oh, wow. uh, February 13th to April 17th. So fall sports in Frederick County will go from February 13th to April 17th. And then from April 17th to the middle of June will be the spring sports. And here in MPSSA, Maryland, they are hoping to have some type of state tournament for the spring sports. So at least there is some hope, hope, some hope right now. We're just doing dual track meets if we were to have a track meet in county. So mm-hmm. just one other school we're going up against. Same same's going to be true for the fall, although we're hoping to have some type of county competition um near the end of the season if if the numbers are okay and we feel that we can get it done cross country i think would be easier um to do that but uh you never know so we're getting something in we're practicing so that's that's good um but you never know man so we're hoping to have uh fall and spring seasons without any any 
without any interruptions. So let's hope we can get through those. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess another little plug for kids is, you know, there's, it's, 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 it's a challenge because for kids going to college right now, not having a season to perform and show off to coaches, is a little bit of a challenge, but there's still a lot of scholarship money out there. And that's, that's the whole goal behind my online programs that kind of help bridge the gap so they can at least train and do stuff to keep in shape for whenever the season does start and or for the next level. 100%. And um, we're going to make sure your information is on this description. So um, anyone listening needs to get, uh, get a hold of you. And I know you're going to make them uh, better athletes and improve upon their personal records. So again, thank you so much for joining me um, on this, on this podcast. Um, I'm so happy that coach Michael Smith recruited you as a coach and uh, I got to spend two years with you uh, as a, as an athlete under you. And um, I know I'm a, I'm a better person because of you. So I appreciate that. Thank you, CJ. And I'm a better person because of coaches like you that are out there and athletes that have, have gone on and, uh, you know, spread the word and have become great coaches and great family people and, uh, you know, parents and things of like that. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. I've enjoyed this. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll talk again. My next episode, I will have another guest on with me, and we will be talking about changing career paths. My guest will be another ex-teammate of mine from college, Derek Mears. As I sign off with these podcasts, you know I love my quotes, and here is today's quote. It is from Richard Branson, and he is an American author and investor, and he says, If your dreams don't scare you, they are too small. Thanks for listening to Off the Track with CJ Ecolano. Until next time, let's go!